The following is a Bible study taught at First Baptist Church of Royal City, Washington. At FBC, we endeavor to handle God's Word accurately, that believers may understand what God is doing through history and what He has planned for believers in the present. We hope you will find this study helpful in better knowing God. More audio and written studies can be found at graceteaching.net under resources. And now, our speaker. When Tim asked me to share something, at first I was really excited, and then I started thinking about it, and I was like, oh goodness, that's actually kind of nerve-wracking. Because, um, well, I've had 17 years of life, almost 18, but um, you guys have had a lot more and a lot more teaching, and so I started getting in my head, and I was like, what in the world can I say that they haven't heard before? And then I started praying about it, and it was, it was like, this thought hit me, it's Kenya, you don't have to teach them anything they haven't heard before, because that's not going to happen. But um, just share what I'm doing in your life, and just share who I am to you. And so, through that, um, I chose um, two words that God has really been sticking out to me in the past couple months of my life. And um, about six months ago, Bree Diaz challenged me to find two words that I want to push myself to become more like throughout the entire year. And so kind of this is the same thing. I chose two words that in the past couple months, God has been really making evident to me in my life and just in my time in the word. And so, yeah. So sometimes when I'm reading the Bible, um, I like to take a certain word and I like to just do a Google search on what that word means because some of these words I've heard over and over and over again, like justification, reconciliation, redemption, all these words, I've heard them before, but sometimes I know the meaning, but if you asked me to explain what this word meant, I wouldn't be able to do that in a very efficient way. And so sometimes I just like to throw it up into the Google search bar and see what comes up. And so for the word faithful, when you Google what is the definition of faithful, it will pop up that it is an, as an adjective, it means remaining loyal and steadfast. And then the second definition is true to the facts in the original. Then if you go to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, it says, um, Faithful implies unswerving adherence to a person or thing, to an oath or promise by which a tie was contracted. And then it gives you a list of synonyms, loyal, constant, steadfast, and resolute. So sometimes when I'm reading through my Bible, I will just throw in a quick Google search to really understand the deeper meaning of what a word means. So this word faithful, um, I it reminds me of Lewis every time because his favorite song is steadfast. And so when I think of just faithfulness and steadfast, it's something that is so firm that you can put your hope and your belief in. And um, so the next thing, the next step was going to the Bible and asking myself and asking kind of the Lord, like where is it evident that God has been faithful throughout the Bible? And I have been listening to Genesis on my way from school and back. I have like a 45-minute drive, and so I'll just put on the Bible, and I'll just listen to it as I drive. And one of the really cool things about that is that I get to listen to like a chunk of the Bible. And so the Bible is really just all these stories compiled together. And when you can listen to a big chunk, you see, like, you see God follow through in a way that, because you're listening to it all go through at once. And so the first... Um, passage I'm going to go to is in Genesis, and is Genesis 5, and I'm going to read Genesis 5, 1 through 6. 5 or 15? 15, what the slideshow says. Okay. That's the one. 
That's why it's up there. Oh no. <laughs> I was going through this and I have a decent amount of verses on here. I was like, man, I've turned a little bit into Tim, just a little bit. Um, so Genesis 15, 1 says, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not, or Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign God, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant will inherit my household. Then the word of the Lord came to him and said, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And so this, God promises Abraham a son, and then descendants as numerous as the stars. And um, then the answer comes in verse, or chapter 21. We'll flip over there. Verses 1 through 4 says now the lord was gracious to sarah as he had said and the lord did for sarah what he had promised sarah became pregnant and bore a son to abraham in his old age at the very time god had promised him abraham gave the name isaac to the son sarah had borne him so this was just god promised abraham this son and descendants and he followed through with that promise and it wasn't and it really was the power of god because sarah was very old and she didn't even think she could have a child but God was faithful through that and he made this promise that he kept and he does that throughout the entire Bible and um, the other one that I wanted to point out that was big for me was God told Abraham that his descendants would inherit the land um, that he promised them but with that promise he also told Abraham that well I guess Abraham was sleeping but he told them that his people would be enslaved and that they would be in slavery for 400 years and the big thing about this um, promise is that it didn't have a timeline that they would have wanted um, I'm pretty sure Abraham was not so excited about that 400 years of slavery promise but even so God was faithful even though the people decided to steer themselves in an opposite direction which led them to be enslaved but God was still faithful in that he provided a way of escape and he, um, when he made the covenant to Abraham, he walked through the animals, which were kind of a symbolism. It said it was like a symbolism of almost like when we have a sign party, when someone like commits to a college or signs off a big job or whatever, and you kind of have this party, congratulations. But with a covenant, they would cut the animals and they would walk through them, signifying this is my covenant to you. We are in unity in this covenant. But when God made this covenant to Abraham, only he walked through because he knew he was going to keep up his end of the deal, but there was, Abraham wasn't able, if he did have a part in the deal, he wasn't going to be able to keep it up. So God only walked through these animals, and he then, the Israelites went into slavery, and then God provided the way of escape for them. Um, this next one is quite possibly the biggest <laughs> um, show of faithfulness throughout the entire story of the Bible. It is the promise of a savior when we, when sin came into the world. So it started all the way back in Genesis 
which says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. And um, I went to a summer camp in Montana, and this was like kind of their spur off of going through the Bible, and how um, this is the very beginning of the Bible, the very beginning of sin, the very beginning of humanity, and we messed up. And um, But with that, God promised this Savior that will come and crush your head. And obviously at that time, they didn't exactly know what that meant. But as the Bible goes throughout in these next verses, it kind of explains more about who this coming Savior is and who this coming King is. So in 2 Samuel 7, 16, yeah, I did it right. This is God talking through Nathan to David. And he says, Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And this is the promise that God gave to David that the Savior would come through his line. And that David would be a part in the kingdom, the coming kingdom. And um, then in Isaiah 7, 14... Isaiah 7:14 says, "Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel." And then one more verse in Isaiah, which is a promise of the coming savior, is Isaiah 53:12. Isaiah 53, 12 says, Therefore I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong. Because he poured out his life unto death, and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many, and made intercessions for the transgressors. So even before um, all of us messed up, God knew that he was going to have to do this. And through um, Moses, through Isaiah, through Nathan, all these people, God used them in telling that a Savior was coming and that they would have their sins forgiven. They would be covered. And I was actually um, talking to my mom about this because it just clicked like in my head that when Jesus went and like set the captives free after, after he died on the cross and rose again and he went down and he set those captives free and brought them to the first heaven, third, second third that's the one the third heaven <laughs> um that is when they were actually set free and that was actually when sin's power was broken because god gave the gift of eternal life which means living with god forever and so it was actually really cool how that kind of just like clicked in my brain because i knew that eternal life meant life with god but in my head i was like people just kept on they just still kept on living like they were still alive, <laughs> but it really clicked on eternal life means life forever with God. And once Jesus defeated death, he then brought them to be with God. And we will get that too once we get to go be with God. Um, and then all those down there, just how each of those 
promises were brought through and carried through that Jesus showed. And then I applied it to my own life and um, one of the ways that I have seen God's faithfulness in my life is just the way that God is constant. Because as you all know, life changes a lot and some of the changes are awesome and some of the changes are hard. And for me, um, I've grown up in rural for most of my life, but I've been bouncing around in from homeschool to public school to Papua New Guinea to back to homeschool to back to public school to Big Ben and just kind of going in all these directions and I had friends from Papua New Guinea and I had friends from homeschool and I had friends from Wenatchee and I had friends from these youth group and it was kind of just this like one of those like dot to dots where you don't really know where you're going and you just keep filling in the dots and you're like am I gonna make a picture at the end of this um but one of the big things that has stood out to me is really just how faithful God has been in each step of my life and when I ask him to show up and be evident in my life when I look back he was and he was there even though I may not have the same friend group that I had three years ago, even though I may not have the same people in my life that were in my life a year ago, God is faithful to still be in my life and he is faithful to still see through what he has started because he promised that once he started a work in me, he will carry it out until completion. And um, so that's one of the biggest ways that I've seen God show up and be faithful in my life. The next word I chose was intentional. And it is also an adjective because adjectives are great. And it means done on purpose or completed by design. And then in the Merriam-Webster, Webster, Webster, one of the Webster, <laughs> it says that intentional applies being done or brought about by one's own will. And then synonyms are voluntary, deliberate, and willing. And then um, one of the big ways that I think Jesus shows that he is intentional in the Bible is the way that he called his disciples. So in the book of Matthew, chapter 4, verse 18 through 20, I actually went through this, I ran through this this morning and I had the wrong chapter and I was like, oh, that is not where we want to go. So we're good now. Um, it says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon and Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake because they were fishermen. And he said, come and follow me, and I will send you out to, be fish, of, to, be, to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. And one of the big things that sticks out to me is that Jesus called them not only by name, he called them by name first, but he also called them using what they understand. They were fishermen. They knew what that was like. And so he didn't ask them to come and help build his kingdom he, like an architect. He didn't ask them to do anything that they didn't understand. He said, come and be fishers of men because they understood what fishing was. That's what they've done for probably most of their entire life. And so Jesus called them, inviting them, using something that they understood. He also... Um, did this with one of his other disciples, Nathaniel. So in John chapter 1, <coughs> verses 
43 through 50, it reads, The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said, Follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote about, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw him, Nathanael approaching, he said to him, Truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael said. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are king of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. And um, in this, I was doing some just little extra research because in verse 47, when it says, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. I was like, that's an interesting phrase. I kind of want to know why Jesus said that. And obviously, I can't just be like, excuse me, Jesus, can you just explain this real quick? <laughs> it would be super nice if I could. <laughs> um, but I was doing some other re research, and I came upon this website, and it said one of the possible reasons why Jesus replied in this manner is that he was almost making, like, a friendly joke. Because the verse before that, um, Nathaniel is not quite mocking, but he's like, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? He's kind of like, mm, I don't really know if this Jesus guy is true. And so it was saying that um, when Jesus like, here's an Israelite in whom there's no deceit, it was saying that he was kind of teasing him in a way because he knew that Nathaniel had already placed some kind of judgment because he knew where he was from. And um, I just think it's super cool how Jesus didn't hold Nathaniel's skepticism against him. He told him that, that, I know why you believe me, because I told you that I saw you before you came up to me. Um, but he didn't hold that against him. He told him that he would get to see even greater things. And he proved to him that he was indeed God and gave him the proof that he needed in order to follow him. And I just think that's a super intentional way that Jesus went about. He called his disciples in a way, knowing who they already were, and he used that to start building relationship with them. And then another way that I think Jesus is super intentional throughout the Bible is the way that he takes time to go spend time with his father. Here's just three examples. There was so, so many I could put up there. But um, each of these times something goes on. Like in Mark, he um, just got done feeding the 5,000. And that's when, like, that's your name to fame, man. You're like, I just did something so cool. And I'm going to go take time and spend time with my father. I'm not going to sit here in this super cool thing that I did. I'm going to go and I'm going to take intentional time with God. And that's something that I have been trying to work on is really just setting a quiet time to spend time talking to the father and spend time just building that relationship because it's something Jesus did so often and he was indeed God. Um, so those are three verses that demonstrate that. And then I um, wanted to share this story as well. This story, it's the 99 sheep and the lost sheep, the parable of the lost sheep, which is in Luke 15, 3 through 7, which I'll read real quick. It starts with, Then Jesus told them this parable. 
Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. And over the past couple months, I have found this story to become more and more beautiful. And one of the things is I realized that at one point I was that lost sheep. And I was the one wandering and didn't know where I was going. And Jesus took the time to find me and to offer salvation and to rejoice over that. And just how intentional of a story that is that he left those 99 knowing that they were safe, knowing that they were secure, but he left them to find that one other person that wanted to be with him and that chose to be with him. And I just think it's a really cool representation of how Jesus does want to seek us out and he wants us to believe in him. And obviously that's why Jesus came to die on the cross for our sins and to raise again so that we can have life with him and so that we can be found in him. And I just have one last quick story to tell about just God being intentional in my life. Over the summer, I got to have two of my really good friends from Lewiston, Idaho come visit me. And um, we spent one of the mornings that they were there, we made all these little, on a little four by six index card, we um, wrote out all these little verses on it and we like colored on them and put some like cool stuff on them, put some verses, put some prayers on them. And then we made like 50 of them and then we took them into Moses Lake at Walmart and we put them throughout the store. And um, we were putting them like everywhere. We put them in different food stuff. We put them in pockets of clothes. We just kind of spread them out throughout the entire store um, with all these Bible verses on them. And then we went out into the parking lot and we like put them on people's or like stuck them in the windshield wiper. And um, we were doing that and this lady happened to like come out to her car as we were putting it on her car, which was a little bit awkward. We were like sticking in her car and she was like, oh, thanks guys. And we were like, oh, you're welcome. <laughs> and we kind of like speed walked away. And it was actually one that Kylie had made and it had this really cool, she like drew with different pens and highlighters, this really cool mountain range. And then on the back, it had a verse from Psalms that said, um, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I, my refuge. And um, so we like get back to my car, which was several rows away and we're standing there and we were just like, oh, that was really fun. That was a really cool thing. And this lady that she had seen us put the note card on, she comes driving by and she's like, hey girls. And we kind of like walk over to her car and we're like, yeah, what's up? <laughs> and so she kind of looks at us and like, she was on like the verge of tears and we we're all kind of like, oh no, like, did we do something wrong? Like, oh my goodness. And we're standing there in the Walmart parking lot and she's like, um, you guys have, would have had no way of knowing this, but me and my husband just received some really tough news and we've been really struggling recently. And this morning I was sitting in my chair and I was like, God, I really don't know if you're real. I really don't believe that you're doing anything in my life right now. If you're real, do something, like show up. And she's like, I had no intention or belief of anything happening today. And she was like, but when I picked up this card and read what was on the back of the card, I realized that 
you guys were that answer to the prayer. And um, so me and my friends and my sister are just kind of staying there in the parking lot, kind of shell-shocked. We were all just kind of like, what is happening right now? <laughs> um, but it was just super, super surreal. And we all got in the car and one of my friends is like, let's just pray for her right now. We don't know what she's going through. We don't know where her heart is at, but let's just spend some time in prayer. So we ended up praying for this lady. Don't know her name, don't know what's going on, but um, obviously God knows all those details. So we spent some time in prayer and then we were driving away and as I was driving, I was just thinking about how many little things, how many little timing things had to go right in order for all of that to happen. How we had to be putting that thing in her windshield wiper in order for us to come, for her to come like see that it was us. Um, we went to Walmart at just some random time of the day and she ended up walking out at the same time we were doing all of this and just how God is super intentional in making those things happen and we didn't have to know that it encouraged her. We didn't have to know that that was a big deal to her, but God let us see that and it was just something super duper cool how God has worked in my life in ways where I couldn't have done it better myself. Even if I planned something out for myself to go perfect, God does it in a way better way than I ever could have. And so those are just two words that have been super encouraging to me and I hope they're encouraging to you as well. Tim asked me to uh, share something that uh, was evident that God was active in my life. And um, I could just say that God uh, made sure I learned how to read and sit down. Uh, but I think he had something more in mind than that. Uh, so anyway, um, so I made notes so I wouldn't leave stuff out and so that I wouldn't uh, go off on some tangent. So anyway, uh, I was born in Bismarck, North Dakota, uh, but except for the time in the hospital, I never lived in North Dakota. I lived in Pollock, South Dakota, and if you want to find that on a map, it's real easy. It's a really small town, but um, you find the North Dakota border you find the Missouri River, and it's just south of the border and just east of the river. And there it is. It's a little dot. Um, and that'll come into play um, later. So anyway, reading. Uh, when I was in first grade, well, they, I don't know when they switched, but they switched from phonics to sight reading and they had, uh, and that was good for some people, but it wasn't too good for me. Uh, they had this big book, you know, so wide and so tall. And they, it was up in front of the room and they would have you stand and read what was on the page. And uh, I had no idea what was on the page. Uh, so obviously I couldn't read it. It was, you know, it was about Dick and Jane and Spot and 
it was really exciting stuff like, you know, see Dick run, see Jane run, run Spot run. You know, it was it was it was a page turner, for sure. Uh, and and then they had smaller books that you could actually hold in your hand, and that was a little better. Um, but I still had trouble with letters. Um, looking the same, especially like B's and D's. My dad asked me more than twice, son, can't you tell the difference between a B and a D? And I always said, yes, I could, because I knew that's what he wanted to hear, but I could not. And uh, there were other letters too, but, and then my daughter, she teaches first grade, and she says, I'll bet you P's were in there too. All my kids have trouble with D's, B's, B's. So, uh, probably. So as a result of that, I got to spend two years in first grade. I got to go through the whole thing twice. And, uh, but that didn't help much. Um, and then I, so then we did second grade and third grade. And then third grade, um, yeah, I, I taught my grades, because that's what I remember. Um, my dad was really good at, uh, this happened in 1939, and in 1942 we did this, and uh, me not so much. Um, but in third grade, we moved to um, Sturgis. And the reason for that was uh, my dad worked for an international harvest dealership as a parts man, and he, um, the dealership changed hands, another guy bought it, and this new guy decided that his wife could run the parts department better than my dad, or at least cheaper. And so dad was without a job, but then he found, I'm gonna say a better one in Sturgis at another international harvester dealership. And we'll come back to better later. Um, turned out it wasn't better. But anyway, um, so we moved to Sturgis and I was there for the a little bit of third grade and then fourth grade and the teachers third grade and fourth grade teachers go this kid can't read and uh, maybe he needs classes and so I went to an optometrist in Sturgis and sure enough so they got me glasses so now I can tell the difference between a D and a B. There's a difference. Uh, so anyway, you may ask yourself, well, why, why didn't you, you know, why didn't they get you glasses while you were in Pollock? Well, um, first of all, Pollock was a really, really small town, like uh, the size of Royal City back in 68 when I moved here, or maybe even smaller. Uh, no doctors, no nurses, no dentists, no nothing. Um, and the roads, all the streets in, Stur in Pollock were gravel. All the roads leading out of town were gravel. Uh, my dad had a Model A and it had a canvas top. Um, now that doesn't mean it was a convertible. <laughs> 
that was all that was between the rain and you, uh, or the snow and you. Um, and if you want to see, if you want to know what a Model A looked like, ask Stan. He's got pictures. And uh, you had to crank it to start. Uh, my dad would get out and crank it up, and away we'd go. Um, so anyway, tr trans what I'm trying to say is transportation just wasn't what it is today. And it was 100 miles to Bismarck, and you just didn't jump in the car and go see if you needed glasses. Uh, it just wasn't, just wasn't done. So anyway, we moved to Sturgis. Uh, and I got glasses, so now I can see. Uh, uh, Y'all think that was just a coincidence? Uh, but anyway, so then after fourth grade, that summer, we vacationed in Cody, Wyoming. Um, and that and uncle that lived there, and uh, we went through Yellowstone and did all things. Well, anyway, my dad complained to my aunt and uncle that where he was working wasn't, you know, I said it was a better job, maybe. Um, they, there was two bosses, and one would tell my dad how to run the parts department, and dad would try to do that. And then the other one would come along and, no, 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 I don't want you to do it that way, I want you to do it my way. And, and my dad suggested that the three of them get together and just come up with one plan they wouldn't do that I don't know why um, so anyway he complained about you know no matter what he did he was in trouble with one of the bosses and uh, so my uncle decided you know, said well, why don't you move to Cody and we'll get you a job here so he got a job at a Ford dealership as a parts man there and we moved to Cody uh, and we didn't move right away. Um, in fact, they sent me out on a bus from the Black Hills to Billings, and my aunt picked me up there and drove me to Cody the day before school started. And then I was there about six weeks before my folks came. And I was just a kid, so, I mean, what do I know? But, so I don't know why my dad's job didn't start right away, why it started way late, but, uh, doesn't matter. It did. So when we get to Cody, the teacher goes, this kid can't read. And uh, so, but that's okay. Because we have a special reading program for kids that can't read. And so I got to go to that an hour, hour and a half every day. And they taught me how to read. So, again, to, you know, you can think that that was a coincidence that we moved to Cody, but I think it was, what's the word? Intentional. Intentional. Yes. Very good. Intentional. Um, so anyway, they had a special reading program, and I learned how to read pretty good. Um, when um, my folks hated Cody, 
I loved it. I thought Cody was just the place to be. I had a paper route, so I had spending money. I was in Boy Scouts, and they actually had activities. And my aunt and uncle would take me fishing, and it was it was wonderful. Uh, my folks, on the other hand, didn't think much of it. Um, in Cody, you there was the Elks and the Eagles fraternal organizations, and you had to belong to one of those. And which my aunts and uncles did belong to the Eagles. And church was opened at nine on Sunday and closed at noon. And that was just about it. So anyway, they didn't think much of Cody. So we moved back to Sturgis after about a little over a year, maybe 13, 14 months. And by now I'm in sixth grade. Uh, I'm reading on a fifth grade level uh, so I'm still behind, but uh, much improved. I, um, I still don't read as I, for some of you younger people, uh, I was a school teacher, and so you'd think, man alive, I mean, this guy must be able to, you know. But no, I still don't read where you think I might um, I still have trouble my eyes don't track that's what I call it. I don't know if that's a medical is that a medical term <laughs> it's my medical term uh, when I read especially well, when I go to, when I pick out a book to read for pleasure that first you know you all who's the author what topic is it uh, and so on. I bet it's not Dick Jane and Sally. No. <laughs> I open the book to see what size the print is. And because of a small print, I have trouble. And because uh, my eyes don't follow along like they should. But, uh, but anyway, I can read. And I thank the Lord for being intentional and getting me to Sturgis to Cody and uh, taking care of me. And we still have time left over. Who's <laughs> Hi. Some of you got here a little late. You didn't get, didn't get to hear Kenya, so you'll just have to stay afterwards and have her redo it. <laughs> <laughs> Aram, this better be on YouTube because I want Tim to see this. Um, you know, my husband's pastor here, and he's gone in Iowa helping take care of his dad and uh, doing a lot of handyman stuff, so I'll be praying for him. Um, he didn't know I was doing this today. Uh, I was getting prepared for my Sunday school class, and so my Sunday school kids are going to get a second time around this. But Thursday is what? Thanksgiving. So some of us know what that word Thanksgiving means. If you look at the Greek, does anybody remember what the Greek word is for Thanksgiving? Good grace. Eucharist. Good grace. Good is something that gives you an inner sense of contentment. And grace 
is God's attitude of he says good things about you. You don't deserve it. And here's the big part. He doesn't consider if you deserve it. Because if he considered if you deserve it, do we deserve it? No. Absolutely not. Or he does things for us without merit, which means he doesn't look, does he look at us and say, you deserve for me to do good things? Yes. Like teaching somebody to read. Like teaching somebody to read. There you go. Okay. So God does good things for us. Do we deserve everything he does for us? So good grace, recognizing God's grace in every situation. It doesn't matter what kind of situation you're going through. It could be a good situation. It could be a very terrible situation. But you can still recognize good, God's good grace. And I have two things that uh, I think all of us as believers, and I'm talking to believers, people who have believed the good news. The good news is Christ Jesus Christ is the one who died for your sins, not you. Prove it. They buried him. You don't bury a dead or alive person. They knew what a dead person looked like. Okay? He was buried. He rose again bodily. He wasn't a spook. People ate with him. People walked with him. People talked with him. He was seen. What's the promise that goes with that? If you believe that, and nothing else, that there's nothing, absolutely nothing you can do to deserve God's good grace, he sends your sins away. We call that forgiveness. Okay? He doesn't forget them. I don't want a God that forgets because that means he could forget a lot of things. People over 40, do you forget things? <laughs> okay. So he sends them away. That's grace. So two things we get as believers in Christ. And if you have a Bible, there should be some in the pews, or if you have your phone or iPad. And yes, talking about small print, a few years back I was showing somebody my iPad, and I said, yeah, the font's big, I can read it. And Dwight, my good friend, said, honey, three rows back could read your iPad. <laughs> We're good friends, okay? So if you're, you have your Bible, turn to the book of Ephesians. And when you get there, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Now this is a letter that Paul is writing to a group of people living in Ephesus. That's why it's called Ephesians. And it's believers. All these letters written in the New Testament were written to believers, not unbelievers. And this is a group of people who are not getting along. We have some of the believers came from a Jewish background. Some of them came from a Gentile background, which just means they're not Jews. So he's talking to <clears throat> the Gentiles specifically here. And you were dead in the trespasses and the sins. My Sunday school class today learned what trespasses are. Trespasses is a choice or an intentional way of thinking that goes against what everything God has shown you. And you're telling God, you should be okay with me thinking this way. Okay, how many of you have had siblings? How many of you have had siblings that have smacked you? 
How many of you have smacked him back? Okay, that's how fast a trespass is and how fast a sin is. A sin is, a sin is something you do, you're, you're saying, you're not the boss of me. How many of you have ever uttered those words to a mom, to a sibling, to a teacher, to somebody else? You're not the boss of me. Show of hands, get them up. <laughs> okay? That's what a sin is. You're acting like there are no rules or regulations for me. You're not the boss of me. I can do this on my own. I don't need to know how to get saved. I can do it on my own. Okay, so trespasses and sins. You are dead. Dead. My Sunday school class, what is death? Separation. Separation. How many kinds of death do we have? Two. Two. When you die physically, your spirit and soul separate from your body. It stays here, and your spirit and soul go somewhere else. Uh, spiritually dead, you're separated from God. That's the big one. That's huge. You're separated from God. If you're sitting here today, and you do not believe the good news that Christ died for your sins, was buried, and rose again, and believing that your sins can be forgiven, you're dead. You're spiritually dead. You're separated from God. Think about that. You're a dead man walking. Okay? So verse 2, in which you, you believers, once walked, following the course of this world. There's an enemy we have, world system. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom you all once lived in the passions of your flesh. So we have Satan prince of the air so there's another enemy that tries to get you and then the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind there's our third one the flesh or stinking sin nature leslie fanning stinking sin nature we coined that she coined that for us and we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind and then we have this word in verse four but but God, being rich in mercy. That word mercy there, that's somebody who's showing you pity because you're in such a miserable state. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, very closely with Christ, like that. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Okay, so if you believe the gospel, you're all sitting here. But God sees us. God the Father sees us sitting right next to him, your right, right side, the seat of honor in Christ Jesus. It's God the Father, and on his right side, I'm doing this so you got the right side there is the son sitting and God the Father says, you're there, you're there. If you're a believer, you're there. That's grace. Do you deserve to be there? No, he says you're there. He's raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Verse seven, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches, riches you can't measure, there's just so many of his grace, remember what grace is, an attitude that God has that says or does something for you, something good. You don't deserve it, he doesn't consider it, if you deserve it. 
So the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness. Kindness means he's putting us at ease. You are children of wrath. That's kind of the opposite of, of kindness, isn't it? Okay? Toward us in Christ Jesus. Let me read that again. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Not because you're a good person. You're in Christ Jesus. And then we have our that, that verse. The coming ages he might show us the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward, toward us in Christ Jesus. That's going on right now. Are you watching it? Are you seeing it? Are you recognizing God's good grace? And then we have verses 8 and 9. For by grace you ha are having been saved. You were saved. You're still continuing to be saved. This is an ongoing thing. It's not just, all right, I'm saved. Got my life insurance or my fireproof insurance. Boom, I'm good. Now I'm just going to sit here and twiddle my thumbs. Nope. Salvation is an ongoing process. And this, the grace, the faith, the salvation, that word this goes back to all three of those words, is not your own doing, it's a gift of God. So grace is a gift, salvation is a gift, faith is a gift. <coughs> Christmas is coming up. Some of us already have our Christmas trees up. <coughs> Holland. <laughs> okay. So when you get to open your presents, how many of you've got your wallets or your PayPal or your ready? Okay, thank you. Let me pay for that. Thank you. Let me pay for that. Does that work? Is that how that works? Is that how a gift works? No. Okay. You get it. Okay. So grace is a gift. Salvation is a gift. The faith. That faith. Faith is the thing that takes a hope, gives a promise. What's the promise? What's the promise? You're forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. And you're made righteous with God. There's a lot of promises. Those aren't the only two promises. There's a lot of promises. So God gives a promise. You have this expectation, this confident expectation called hope. Yeah, that's true. Yep, I believe that's true. I, I hope that's true. Faith is a thing that swoops in. The faith that God gives you. And it makes that hope, that promise, so real. You can, you can experience it. Not of your own doing is a gift of God. Not a result of works. So if you're sitting here thinking, I can be a good enough person, I'm not that bad of a sinner. <laughs> For sure better than that person sitting next to me. Um, I can prove myself. You need to read Ephesians 2.9 again. Not a result of work so that no one may boast. But back to verse 7. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That's what we call resurrection life. Because you have been raised up with Christ. We already saw that. Yeah, that resurrection life so that you're sitting in Christ. And you can experience all these wonderful promises that God has given us. All these. Go back to chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. 
verse 3. I think a lot of people knew where I hope I was going here. Ephesians chapter 1, 3. Blessed. That means say good words. That's what that word means. Say good words. When somebody dies, we have a funeral. Somebody gets up there and reads the eulogy. Eulogy, that's what, that's what this Greek word is. Eulogy. Here's the problem, though. You're saying good words about somebody who can't hear them because they're dead. Okay? These are good words that God the Father is saying about us now while we're still living. So we can say good words about God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who God the Father has said good words about us in Christ. Not because you're all by yourself like, look at me, super Christian. No, he's saying this because whatever he says good about Jesus Christ, he can say about you who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual good word in the heavenly places. Every good word. So, recognize God's good grace. You're sitting in Christ. You have this resurrected life. He's saying good words about you. He's giving you promises. So that's one thing we can be thankful for. So when Thanksgiving is coming up and you're stuffing your face with uh, turkey or whatever, Pray for me because I don't want to have any turkey this year because my daughter doesn't want to. I love you, Emily, but not right now. <laughs> so let's go over to, come on, First John. Way in the back, people. First John. You know where it's, it's way in the back. First John chapter 1. Come on, guys. 1 John 1. So first we can have, we can be recognize God's good grace. Be thankful for this resurrected life we have. And then 1 John 1, 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest. When was the last time you used that word? Manifest. Raise your hand if you've used it in the last 10 years. Manifest. <laughs> okay? Manifest means just made it visible. Put your hand down. <laughs> Lewis. <laughs> okay? The life was made plain to see. And we have seen it. This is John talking and testify to it, proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Now, John was a guy that walked around with a special man. Who was that special man? Jesus Christ. So, verse 1. That which was from the a beginning, which we have heard, which we have, uh, we have heard, so he could hear him which we have seen, which we have looked upon, I mean, you could, and we have touched with our hands. He saw this. And concerning the word of life, the life which was, which was made plain to see, eternal life. Jesus Christ was the first person to have eternal life in him. Eternal life. Okay, Kenya. I'm going to add a little bit to your eternal life thing, okay? Eternal life is God's kind of life. Because we saw in verse 2, 
The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifest, made plain to us. Jesus Christ was the first human being that had God's kind of life in him. He lived out God's kind of life, not a human nature. He had a human nature, but he worked out this God's kind of life in him. He's the first person to do that. So let's turn to chapter 5. Verse 11. Okay, so Jesus Christ was the first human being to have God's kind of life, eternal life, living out through him. It's real. If you're a believer, and if we could cut you open and have a special scope, we could see Jesus Christ living in you. He's really living in you. Get your mind wrapped around that. Jesus Christ is living in you. The Father is living in you. The Holy Spirit's living in you right now. And that's never going to change. No matter how naughty you get in your life, that's never going to change. So verse 11, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Okay, some of us have been here enough that we know how Tim does this. Okay, I've got a book. I'm going to put this Kleenex in here, sorry. Okay. So we have, think of this. This is Jesus Christ. In him, he has eternal life. Okay? Now, think of it this way. Jesus Christ is in you. So if Jesus Christ is in you, what do you have now? Yeah. He has eternal life in him, and since he's in you, now you have God's kind of life right now. This is not, oh, in the sweet by and by, I'll get this eternal life. I'll get it when I die, or I'll get it when we're all raptured. You have it right now. You have God's kind of life living in you right now. And yes, it is a life that is not measured by time. It's one way why it's called eternal. There is no timeline on this. But you can live it out right now. You have eternal life. Verse 12, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So you have two kinds of life that you can enjoy. Resurrection life. You're in Christ. Do, yeah, do, do you see the thing over there? Okay. Okay. You're in Christ. You're sitting. Yes, I know you're sitting right here. Not stupid, I'm not blind. But God the Father counts you to be sitting in his son right now and at all times. Nothing's going to change that either. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Where is that? They, where's that verse is what I'm saying. What? Romans 8. Okay, so just you can get the block. Get the address. Yes, it's Romans 8. Nothing's going to separate you from the love of God. Neither life nor death. So even if you die, if you leave your body here, you're going to leave your body here, your spirit and your soul are still going to be with God. Cool. Gets me emotional because we just had a really close friend who died recently. 
His body's here, but he's still with God. So you have this resurrection kind of life. And when you get really comfortable knowing that stuff, first learn it, and then enjoy it. Enjoy those good words that God says about you. Recognize his good grace. You do that, then all of a sudden you're going to start living out God's kind of life, eternal life. Like, how do I do that? Ta-da! Okay? The Holy Spirit is going to work out fruit from the Spirit. Love. God's kind of love. God's kind of joy. Peace. Long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control. If you don't know what those words mean, especially meekness, find somebody. We'll explain it to you. Okay? So two things to be thankful for. To recognize God's grace. You have resurrection life. You have eternal life. So I hope that that helps us this week. And you're welcome, Tim. <laughs> He's been trying for years to get me on his YouTube channel, and I keep telling him no. So Merry Christmas, early sweetie. <laughs> and I think we're done, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so. we don't have an afternoon service today, but we do have food downstairs. So anyone wants to join us, feel free. Yeah. Uh, this is downstairs. Do you want to pray? Thank you. Oh yeah. Father, we thank you for this afternoon.